Welcome back. We're the Twelve Sided Guys. Now, for all you pine cones out there, give it up for Matt. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> and to you, mustachioed minions, here's Scott. That's me. Where are my Hormex at? Because it's Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Salutations. Oh my gosh. And to the Nat 20s, here's your Nat 20, Sabrina. Hey there. For the rest of y'all nerds, I'm Paul. Thanks for all the ratings, reviews, and recommendations you guys have been spreading out there to the world. It really helps us out a lot. Don't forget our Patreon for some bonus content and also our Discord server where you can come and chat with us and other fans of the show. And FYI, you don't have to be a patron to join the Discord. So come on, come on, do it. The link's right there <laughs> in the episode. Get to the Discord. <laughs> Get to the link in the, in the episode description. <laughs> it's not a tumor. <laughs> And uh, don't forget Fanex coming up September 22nd through the 24th, 2022. Some of us will be there for the whole convention, but we will all be in one place at the same time, finally, on Saturday, September 24th. So come and be a part of this groundbreaking event. Woo! Fall break. (laughs) (laughs) It will be historic. It will be historic. Anyway, if you've ever been shocked by electrified seaweed while trying to disarm bombs strapped to a dam all without ever throwing your Nintendo controller against the wall, then congratulations, and this podcast is for you. It's the Crystal Codex, episode 77. game i've only been able to beat that as an adult wait which game is that ninja turtles for the nes it's one of those things where i know that i really want to go and do it but i know that it's still going to be just as frustrating as it was when i was a child i wanted to like it so bad because i was such a ninja turtles kid but that level i think i remember getting past it maybe once or twice and then having no idea what to do after that because you play the first two levels so much trying to get to the dam. <laughs> yes. And then you finally get past it. And you're like, I don't know what's happening now. So, yeah. Well, aren't there two dam levels? Like, don't you have to do that twice? Oh, I don't remember that. Two dam levels. <laughs> <laughs> you go in the dam and you have like the normal fighting and stuff. And then you do the swimming and the swimming is awkward and the seaweed is electrified and there's a time limit. Oh, that was the worst. Yeah, it's brutal. There's electrical gates and stuff that like will zap you and stuff. Anyway. You see, my Ninja Turtles drug of choice was Turtles in Time on the Super Nintendo. And that game is perfection. That was a fun one. If you haven't played the new one, Shredder's Revenge, do yourself a favor, get it, have a nostalgia blast. It's amazing. Welcome back, everyone, to the city of Calta in the city-states of Ricolia here on the country or the world of Shattered Pavantis. We last time were together. Well, actually, last time we were together, we weren't together. We had Pine and Ebby hanging out in an inn, chatting about some very deep conversations about, um, about loss and about the struggle for... What am I trying to say? Ceviche (laughs) and Surge. (laughs) 
Well, they, they were having some deep conversations, and then they also had some very interesting conversations about old 90s commercials for Surge Soda and, um, and some other um, interesting little tidbits. Some kind of how different some creature mates fingers. Yes, yes, there was something about Eddie watching somebody. Ma- anyway, that was all very interesting. The fractured butthole as well. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, um, the probably the more important part of the story was following um, Nari and Roos as they um, ventured through a, an abandoned um, ruin of a cathedral that at one point before the shattering had been a, a, a nice, um, beautiful kind of picturesque picnic spot, but um, recently had been taken over by a beast living in the woods. Uh, thanks to the amazing perception checks by Nari and especially Roos getting his 25 um, at the end of the previous episode, Scott, the player, figured out that this dragon was not really a dragon and was probably an illusion thanks to the crystal buried in the ground. Running through this beast, this dragon that had confronted them um, revealed, yes, it was an illusion and they then proceeded to explore this fun house of horrors underneath this abandoned cathedral. But was it fun, really? Was it fun? I enjoyed it immensely. I could tell. <laughs> Noxious clouds, people getting sick, spider webs in the in the stairways. Um, there were hallways that you couldn't see where you were going. There were um, voices speaking to you in your ear. There was wind that blew you off of a uh, platform and into a pit full of spikes. But Nari and Roos, being the stalwart heroes that they are, pushed through and managed to make it to the very last room here in the basement underneath the ruined cathedral. And as they opened the door, they saw seven deacons, seven Ormex lining the wall, all powered down, except for one that was kind of being charged with a small crystal and pointing a gun at them was a woman with fox ears and a rifle. And she told them, you can't have them. And that's where we're at right now. So, Roos and Nari, what are you going to do? There is a rifle pointed at you, and there is this kind of middle-aged uh, woman with uh, red hair. There's a little bit of gray streaking her her uh, her temples. She's got these large fox ears. Um, she's dressed in uh, like uh, robes, and she's got like a cape on, um, and she is pointing a gun at you. Did you change her token? I sure did, yes. <laughs> she's so cute. I can't have Nari falling in love with every single character. I mean, she's still cute. She's still cute. She's still cute. But this, I think this token fits a little bit better. The other one was a little bit childish. This woman is probably um, late 40s at this point. Yes, and she's pointing a gun. I don't say no to a MILF. (laughs) (laughs) So my son listens to this podcast. Uh, Sabrina, for his benefit, can you please define what a MILF is? (laughs) (laughs) A milf, a milf is a, a cute mom. There you go. Like, I don't know. Like, she, yeah, she's a mom who's still hot. She's still got it. It's a mom I'd like to flirt with. Oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. You can't have them, she has just said, waiting for a response from Ruth and Nari. <laughs> well, I don't want them. Yeah, Nari's going to, like, kind of put her hands in the air and, like, not not bring her like axe out yet then why have you come what are you here for you shot my friend's cat friend's cat yeah he's got like a flying cat thing you shot it 
your friend. Your friend is the owner of the wooden palisade. What? No. My friend had a cat that was tailing the owner of the wooden palisade, and you shot my friend's cat. She lowers the gun a little bit. Why don't you make a persuasion check? I'm not very good at this. I got a 10. Can Nari just be like nodding along and being like, yep, yep, I agree. So why don't you make that with advantage? <laughs> <laughs> it's now a seven. So I, so still 10. <laughs> um, she lowers the gun a little bit, then she kind of raises it back up and she says, how do I know that what you say is true? Russell pull out the shell casing from his pocket and say, I found this in the dirt near the tavern, right where my friend's cat was shot. I had a friend of mine trail the nearest a similar shell, which I see on your, uh, is probably in your rifle chamber right there. And that's how we found you. Poor Amarok would be rolling his eyes so hard at this mention of him being a cat. <laughs> He's losing the little health he had left. In all fairness, Abby, you're the Abby's the only one who has seen him in his full majesty. Yes, that's fair. She does not lower the gun, and she says, "I don't believe you. You've come to take these. Where would we take them?" She says, "You work for Renato, don't you?" I don't Renato that name. <laughs> we don't know a Renato. We're not from here. We're from Arkelvi. She's going to make a perception check, and you can make a um, a persuasion check. Nat 20 for a 24. Nice. Woo. You see her shoulders kind of soften a little bit. She lowers the gun. She still has her finger um, like next to the trigger, um, so she hasn't like put the gun away, but she's not aiming it at you um, threateningly currently. But you know that she could pull it up and shoot in you know a split second. But she says, Renato, Renato Pello, the owner of the Wooden Palisade, richest man in town, the owner of the other deacons. He might be the richest man in this little town, but that doesn't give him any sort of name outside of Calta. I have no idea who he is. So that invisible cat that was stalking around his place was not a guard. It wasn't watching for me. No, I have a friend who's very interested in Ormax. What did you say? Ormac? They call themselves Ormax. She lowers again a little bit more. And then she says, they call themselves something? They actually, they have a name for themselves? They do. I have a friend that I think you should meet. He is an Ormac. He is. It was actually his cat that you shot. Yeah, you might want to give him a, a, a little bit of time to cool down before you meet him, but you definitely should. <laughs> <laughs> this, this Ormac, this Ormac has a, uh, what's the word? I don't know. Aware? He's intelligent no he's he's a person he's awake these guys are just kind of sleeping you see when you say um he's awake and then nari when you say that these ones are just kind of sleeping that she kind of her she goes from holding the gun like at rest with two hands to just kind of holding it just by the handle the barrel is now on the ground and her knees kind of slump a little bit she almost goes to her knees but she manages to kind of hold herself up and you can tell that something has just kind of overwhelmed her, not like physically, but some kind of mental stress or something has just overwhelmed her and she starts shaking her head. Ari's going to take a couple steps towards her 
And as she's doing that, say, can you tell us what you plan on doing with these Mermex? She kind of straightens up and uh, collects herself. And when she looks up at you, you can see without a perception check, you can see a tear in her eye. She says, I, I hope to make things right. I, um, I would greatly, greatly love to meet your friend. I think our friend might be more interested in uh, these Ormex, but we should leave them here probably. Come with us and uh, we'll bring you to our friend. Will your booby traps work even if you're outside of this uh, cathedral? She says these Ormex can't, these, or she says these deacons can't go anywhere. They're, they're out of power. I don't have enough crystal to keep them going. I have, and she points over to the small, like little baseball sized crystal that she's got attached to the one over on the, on the Western wall. She says, I've got this little power source is all I've got. And it's, I mean, it's enough to get one, you know, an hour or two awake, but I mean, not really awake. These other ones, their, their batteries are run down. So they're not going anywhere, but I can get you back through, through my traps without a problem. Uh, if I'm with you, let's go have a late lunch. I'm not really welcome in town is the wrong word. I mean, if the wrong people see me, um, I'm going to have some explaining to do. And she kind of motions to the, to the Ormex in the room. She says, these ones, these all used to belong to Renato. I kind of took them. <laughs> do you have any fancy illusions that can uh, make your face look a little different? She uh, looks into her bag and she pulls out one little crystal. She says, I can, I'm pretty spent for the day. I need to kind of work on some of the little shards of crystal I've got left, but I can, I can disguise my appearance uh, for a short time. I'll wait till we get closer to town. Yeah. Let's, let's go meet your friend. Okay. You see, um, as she kind of goes to the door to accompany you out of the fun house, she goes to the one deacon that's still plugged in and she kind of puts her hand on its shoulder and she leans down and whispers something into where its ear would be. If anyone wants to hear what she has to say, you can make a perception check. Otherwise, you can um, just let it be. Pine rolled a six. <laughs> <laughs> Nari rolled a 25. Roos got a 12. Roos got a 12. Roos, you don't hear, but um, Nari, you're kind of walking back because you had kind of walked up. You kind of walk past her as she leans down and you hear her say something to the effect of, don't worry, I'll be back. And hopefully we have a solution. And then she stands back up and she leaves with you. Um, as you guys are walking through the hallways that you had walked through earlier that were dark and clouded with fog, um, they're now just normal. Like all the fog has dispersed. You can see on the edges of your vision that there's still fog. And so it's less like the fog is gone and more like you just don't perceive it anymore, right? Like the illusion doesn't work on you anymore, right? And even when you enter that room that had the big gust of wind blowing by, you can still hear the wind. But when you walk through the space, there's just the slightest little rustle uh, in your hair and that's it. So it's like you have now been given clearance to move through these traps. When you said the slightest little rustle, I imagine there's like this little urch street urchin following you around. He's this little little scrawny kid named Russell. <laughs> hey, sir. Where are you going, lady? Let me blow in your hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Um, you guys go back the way you came. 
and go back up the stairs and out into the um, the sunlight over um, over this uh, this abandoned and ruined cathedral, and um, head back towards Kelta. As this is going on, Ebby and Pine, you guys are over in the East Bridge Inn um, while this is all going on. What are you guys doing at this point? I don't know. I, I imagine maybe Pine is telling a story or something. Yeah, I was thinking about it. Last time we had a lot of fun, you know, just being silly, having fun. Uh, but I think one of the things that Pine would have tried to get kind of get done, we were waiting for Roos and Nari to return, um, was trying to come up with some kind of a plan to infiltrate this rich guy's house. Oh, that's a good idea. So I guess it's decided. We really need Roos's help because I don't think either of us is going to do well enough. Maybe we, he could do that whole, you know, hide our tracks thing. You could maybe change into uh, something small, something, you know, light footed. Oh, that might be an option. You know, I have been working on my ability to speak with animals. If we could win the bets that involve these horses, um, we might be able to... Uh, to just maybe make some advantageous bets and try to uh, just win the Ormex off of this individual and not actually have to kill anybody, which would be novel. <laughs> <laughs> My talk must have really gotten through to you. This is amazing. Uh, it's like night and day. I figured you'd appreciate that, you know. Of course, if they don't give us the Ormex, I'll burn it all to the ground anyway. So, you know. <laughs> so, I guess, plan A... Convince the horses to cheat for us. Awesome. Plan, and if that doesn't work, plan B, Bride will we'll do the whole infiltration thing and over, under cover of night and have a, we'll have, try to have a role for everybody and be super kind of, you know, heisty. Well, I think that makes sense. Sure. Okay. All right. That's, that's a good plan. Now, here's the, here's the question. Though. What do we wager against the Ormex? Because I don't think we should put the illegal legal up there as collateral. Oh, heavens no. Well, maybe we have to snowball it. You could wager me as an Ormec and say, you know, maybe they'll ante up and meet that bet with an Ormec of their own. We win that bet, and then you'd say double or nothing. That, that's a possibility. Again, Ebby, treating you as they treat deacons is super icky for me. It's awful, but, you know. I will do it if you are willing to play that part. I don't relish the thought of this, but honestly, the, the opportunity to liberate some, I, I don't mind facing that kind of humiliation if it ha gives us an opportunity to liberate additional Ormex. Well, it's decided then. Man, where are Nari and Roos? The ceviche is getting warm. <laughs> <laughs> the, ce the ceviche is getting all digested. Mine's on the floor in that uh, fun house still. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Nari and Roos, you guys uh, are approaching the East Bridge Inn with your new um, foxy friend. Um, as you approach the uh, city gates, she uh, she cracked a crystal and um, so you saw like a, a glow come over her. Her hair changed from red to blonde. Her ears uh, kind of changed their shape to a more feline shape as opposed to that more, you know, the, the large wolf uh, kind of pointed look. And um, her her face it's her, she has kind of an, an angular kind of a, um, a pointy face. It kind of, it, it softens foxy. a little bit. <laughs> Lupine. Yeah. A little foxy. Yeah. Um, but her, her face kind of softens a little bit um, as you are now approaching the East bridge Inn with this woman. 
I'm Nari, by the way. What what was your name? I'm Sydney. Should we call you Sydney while we're here, or should we name you something else? My name's not that it's my face that they recognize. So my name shouldn't shouldn't matter. I think the people who knew me around here five years ago are dead or gone at this point. Kind of point of order too. Um Ebby has his disguise self stuff up since after after doing the chase and trying to track down Amarok and all that stuff, he's he's using his disguise self. Perfect. Is he still the amalgamation of all of us? Oh, hundred percent. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Frankenstein awesome. monster over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Roos and Nari and Sydney, you enter into the East Bridge Inn. You walk past the common room. People are, uh, it's its a lot, it's less full now. Um, it's later in the day. Um, people have not begun their, their nighttime drinking and eating yet. It's kind of a three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And um, Roos and Nari, you lead Sydney back to this private dining room um, after the uh, innkeeper mentions that you guys are still um, eating back there. You guys still have this room reserved and you enter into the room. Pine and um, Ebby, you see this woman come in with them. She's wearing kind of uh, robes and like a cape. She kind of um, kind of hides her form a bit, but you can see she's got um, brown hair. She's got feline ears. She's got kind of a, a round, um, uh, you know, soft face. Um, and she comes walking in and uh, she looks a little bit uncomfortable. She's looking left and right as she enters. And as the door shuts, she turns to you, Roos, and she says, um, which, where's your, where's your friend, the deacon or, or Ormek? When, when they entered, as soon as they entered, Pine did stand up and kind of, um, you know, start to approach for the pleasantries, a gentleman, you know, greeting a, a lady. Ebby would have turned and been like, Roos, you have a stray with you. <laughs> <laughs> She's not a stray. It's a pleasure to meet you. My name is Temrid Pine. Do you take her hand or like, what do you do? Oh, I, I will offer a hand as if to do the whole like kissing thing that, you know, is so fancy. She offers you her hand and she does it in a very practiced motion. And you kiss her hand and she's, oh, I haven't done that for a while. My name is Sydney. Sydney, it's a pleasure. Well, salutations, uh, Sydney. How did you meet our compatriots here? Uh, They found me. She seems a little skittish. Bruce will turn to Abby and say, you're going to want to chat with this woman. She has a room full of seven Ormex. What? And she's been stealing them from the same man that you were pursuing. Well, it sounds like my thanks would be in order. I'm I'm much obliged. And Ebby will go ahead and drop his disguised self and walk up towards her. Okay. Um, Ebby, why don't you make a... I believe it's investigation check. Investigate whether she was more scared of you as this weird amalgamation of us all or as an Ormac. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ebby is not great at investigating. And he rolled a four. She looks at you and she says fascinating and she kind of she she kind of shakes her head because you she starts looking at you very appraisingly and then she shakes her head and she actually looks at you as a person and she says it's a pleasure to meet you she says unless unless we've met before and then she drops her illusion yeah you see a pointed face ebby uh 
kind of takes a, a, a short half step back and then raises kind of his hands up and puts them near her shoulders. And he's like, you, ah, and he leans forward and he whispers, this one is defective. And then he starts strangling her. What? Jesus. <laughs> I forgot. For all our listeners who are listening to the podcast at this episode, previous the previous episode that came out last week was actually the session zero that Jordan and I recorded back in December of 2020. And some of our players still have not listened to that episode. So they have no clue what is going on. This woman, she reaches up and grabs your hands and she is trying to pull them away. We're going to make opposed strength checks. You can give her advantage because Pine would immediately start to try to pull Ebby off. Nari's going to jump in there and kind of try to help yeah. wrestle Ebby off. <laughs> Ebby rolled an 18. She rolled a natural 20 with advantage. Her first roll was an 8. Dang it! <laughs> So it's not that she did it. She like starts to pull and pull and pull. And then uh, I think that Pine grabs one arm and, and Nari just like grabs the other arm and, and manages to free Sydney. And she falls to the ground on her knees and she actually starts like sobbing and holding up her hands. And she says, I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm so sorry. I did not know. He is full throated yelling. You monster. How many did you kill? How many bodies are out there in the woods? And he actually levels his arm. The wrist cocks down and he reveals the two barrels of the mana cannon. And he's about to take a shot. Roos will reach over and put his hand on it and try and lower the mana cannon. Um, can I, Roos, can I have you do a strength check against uh, a DC for me? I'm not super strong. Roos will say... Hear her out and then decide if you want to shoot her. Okay, maybe maybe give me a persuasion check then. And I'm going to I hope you don't mind, Paul. I'm going to make it a, a DC 12. I love it when players take control of their characters like this. It's great. Just don't take control of my characters like this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Roos rolled a 13 on his persuasion. Okay. Ebby slowly is lowering. He's not letting his wrist kind of lock back into position. So he's still kind of armed, but he's letting his arm lower, and he's like, you have no idea what monster she is. How many bodies I saw, how many other deacons they were experimenting on. Well, then tell us. Share with us. We need context here. As you are having this conversation, there's a, a, a light knock at the door, and you hear the innkeeper uh, from out front say, is everything okay in there? Do, do you need any do you need any assistance? Should I get the town guards? We're playing charades. Don't worry about it. He's like, I know for a fact that charades is a silent game, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing it wrong. Anyway. Oh, okay. Well, um, if you need anything. We do need an early dinner. Send us some more ceviche. Oh, also, Nari, you're pronouncing it wrong. It's charades. <laughs> ah, yes. Yes. I always forget that. That's what you call it down here. Yeah. <laughs> So Sydney is on the on her knees and she's got her hands up in front of her face, um, kind of waving you off, Abby. And she's saying, I had no clue. You have to understand. I feel terrible about everything. But you and she kind of points to you, you know, calmly. She's not like 
pointing like aggressively. She's kind of saying, you pointing to Ebby, we thought, we thought you were, we didn't know what you were. We thought you were similar to the other creations, the other automatons and, and machinery that we had already discovered that we'd uncovered. I mean, we've been uncovering it for, for years, for decades. And then we found you and, and we thought you were the same. We thought you were machines. We had no idea. See, that's where your ignorance shines through. I was the same as the countless dozens that were dead in that facility. They were just like me. They were other creatures, other souls, other beings that were lying dormant. And you meddled with them. You brutalized them. You manipulated them. And how many more followed me? And he, he turns away in disgust and disgust and kind of stomps off towards the other side of the room. She says, no, we, you have to understand you, you were the first, the first one that we actually managed to figure out how to power up. You were, you were the first. And when you spoke to me, it shook me and it stopped all of our research on deacons for three months because we didn't know what we had. But the other, the others that we that we powered on, they did not act like you. You, you were unique, 381. You were unique. Ebby kind of just scoffs at that and just turns away. It sounds like she might be the reason you're awake, Ebby, as, as terrible as she might have done. To that, Ebby turns angrily at Nari and is like, she is absolutely not the reason I am awake. Neom woke me. Neom works through mysterious ways. <laughs> yeah. Neom was just a man, is just a man. I don't even know what he is, but it, it had nothing to do with her. I am certain of that. She, she kind of looks to the rest of you in the room. She says, in our facility, what, 10 years ago? That's when we started the Deacon program in earnest. We powered them on through cables to their heads, connected to this large crystal apparatus that we had set up in the middle of the room. It was a sight to behold. It was the, the grandest, most complicated thing that we could create to try to power their forms. When this one, 381, was unplugged, he didn't turn off. His name is Ebby. She looks at you, she's like, oh, I, I apologize. I'm sorry. In my, in my mind and in my notes, you have been 381 for so long, but I apologize, Ebby. I, I mean no offense. <laughs> no offense. This is preposterous. Every breath you take is an affront to those that have died. Um, she's going to make a wisdom save. Ebby, hear her out. She got a 17. You see her shoulders get a little bit more rigid. And she stands up to her feet slowly. She's not, she's got her gun strapped to her back. She's not like pointing a gun at you or anything, but she looks at you, Ebby, and she says, Ebby, I cannot change my mistakes of the past. All I can do is tell you how terribly sorry I am and let you know what I have been doing to try to remedy 
those mistakes. I have been taking deacons, Ormex, from those who are using them for servitude, for what I used to think you were supposed to be used for. I have been rescuing them, liberating them, and I have been waiting. I have heard the rumors that some of these deacons, some of these Ormex are gaining consciousness. When I heard those rumors a few years ago, I realized that, Ebby, you were not a glitch. You were not an aberration. I think you were the potential for what they all could be. And I realized that I was wrong. And I have been spending the last three years trying to make this right, as right as I can. I don't expect you to ever forgive me for what I did. But I have seven Ormex. Ormex still sounds kind of... She, you can see that when she says that word, it's, it, it's not natural for her. She keeps consciously avoiding saying the word deacon. I have seven Ormex in safekeeping that I want to awaken. And I don't know how. Ebby kind of hangs his head. He's still not looking in her direction. But he turns and to Amarok in Allele um, says, alert those on the ship. Have a, have a group rendezvous with us outside of town. Wait for my signal. And Amarok is visible to everybody and responds in Allele to Ebby and says, it will be done, Arunshea, and, and zips off out of the building. Ebby turns to her and says, very well. I will hear you out. And I will do my best to acknowledge your choices that you have made recently in an attempt to atone for the things that you've done in the past. There are ways to awaken those, those Ormex that you have. If, we, if you take me there, I can, have a, I can attempt to, to see what can be done. That's all I ask. Thank you for trusting me. Well, I don't know if trust is the right word yet, but we are we're keeping an eye on you and we want to see what, what the truth is of what you say. What was the name of the man that owns all the deacons? Renato. He's the, uh, the wealthiest man in town. He's got the, uh, the biggest farm and he owns the wooden palisade. See, Abby, I was right. That's what I assumed. Do you have any idea how many deacons he has? I don't know. I, I assume it's more than four, but it's less than ten. A great step in the right direction on earning Ebby's trust would be helping him to free those Ormex from Renato. It's been slow going, but I've managed to get seven myself. Oh, those are, those are from Renato. Yes, I am curious how you were able to pull that off. She uh, opens up her bag of uh, crystals and she shows you some of the crystals. She says, I've got tricks. I've got other, you know, she kind of pats her gun and she's got like a, a couple like, like cogs and wheels and kind of little apparati on her belt. She says, I've got some tricks that I've picked up um, along the way and some old um, imperial tech that I, that I managed to scrounge and keep after the, after the world shattered. That's very resourceful. Do you by any chance know where there's a facility out in the woods? We've heard about a, a facility. Do you, would you know how to get there? She says, yes, I would 
most definitely know how to get there. I um, used to work there. That's, uh, that's my facility. But it's not in the woods anymore. When the, um, when the world was shattered, um, the mountains came down and, and landslides covered it. So it's actually now buried. But the scavengers that have been in the area have managed to find a way in. Um, but they've kept me away. So you're not in league with the scavengers? Not at all. No, they're barbarians. They're, they're, uh, they're butchers. The Mad Max villains. <laughs> I want to see if I trust, if I believe her. Can I roll an insight check? You sure can. Ah, man. I rolled a three. <laughs> I don't think I've ever rolled above an 11 for insight. <laughs> it's hard to say. There's a lot of anxiety and oh, yeah. um, hostility and tension in the room. And so it's just hard to read anybody because everybody's on edge. At that, the innkeeper walks in with some ceviche. He looks very uncomfortable. <laughs> and he's like, um, here's some, some ceviche. Uh, um, I'll just be outside. <laughs> Thank you. I'm starving. <laughs> I'll wait for him to leave. But then Epi will step forward and say, I have to get to this facility. If you can get us there, perhaps we can help with eliminating or chasing away whatever scavengers might be in the area. But first, I would prefer to liberate as many of the Ormex that are here in the vicinity as we possibly can. Of course. With your help, I think we could, we could probably get the last of the Ormex out of, uh, out of the Pillow Manor. The Pillow Manor? Like a pillow fort. <laughs> pillow, P-E-L. It's one of those names that you're like, oh, that'll work just fine when you write it down. And then when you actually say it out loud, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yes. Renato <laughs> Pello is his name, Pello. Renato Pello, okay. Well, Roos, grab a couple handfuls of that ceviche, and I think we're going to head back out again. I don't want to wait any longer, right, Ebby? All right. No, no, I'd rather be about this as quickly as we can, at least. So then the question is, are you guys going to the southwest, to the cathedral where there are the seven dormant uh, Ormex? Or are you guys going to the northeast, to the Pello Manor, where you believe the rich man has somewhere between four and ten uh, Ormex? I say we go to the ones that are guaranteed right now. Ebby, what do you think? Yeah, I think, I think we go to the cathedral and see what we can do about these seven. My hope is that the the um teams from the kilava like one of the uh kind of liberation teams could meet us and accompany us and and hopefully help us with awakening them in a way that doesn't result in all of us getting fatigued or dead so <laughs> i'll stand within 10 feet of everyone <laughs> <laughs> you just stand in the middle of the room um so you ha- you sent amrock ahead to get the uh, to get the ormex to meet you um outside of town so you guys then leave the inn and head south outside of the city. And as you start heading towards the forest, um, Amarok comes zipping up and uh, lands on your shoulder, Ebby, and um, guides you to the place where, in the kind of the knee-length grass, where the Ormex are kind of laying hidden, waiting for your approach. And actually, there are seven Ormex. All seven of the Ormex that were on the ship um, have come to um, to help. They are all very interested in this turn of events. Even Daffodil. Even Daffodil. Does she have her rifle with her huge rifle? 
Yes. <laughs> Super cool. I love that. Roos has a handful of ceviche um, in his left hand and uh, Gigi's eating out of it as they're walking. Oh, fantastic. Um, as you guys are walking into the woods, um, Sydney's kind of telling you a little bit about what she's been doing. You know, she says, um, I needed a, a place to to hide my you know, my, myself and to hide the, the, the Ormex that I had taken from the, from the manor, from Pello and, uh, from Renato. And I needed a way to keep other people away. So I used what tricks I had. I, I spent, I mean, all of the crystal that I had left, except for this little bag of tricks. I still have her little tiny little crystals, except for this little bag I've got left for, you know, smaller things. And, and I created the illusion of, you know, a dragon to keep people away. And then I, I kind of camouflaged the traps around the cathedral. So in hopes that if anyone did come, you know, snooping around that they'd, uh, they'd turn around once they saw how dangerous it could be there, but. Or they'd die. <laughs> and she kind of, she, her eyes get a little bit dark and she goes, or they die. <laughs> 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 well, I guess, I guess I say that because apparently this used to be a, a family spot, a picnicking spot. If you had any problems with children coming through here, that's the, the biggest thing I'd be worried about. The dragon illusion came first, and that was enough for quite some time. And then people came, and they avoided it. They, they went around it. It didn't work all the time. I mean, my, my crystals are losing their power. It's Ever since the shattering, crystals don't do what they did before they're not as potent and she takes you through the cathedral nothing to do about that (laughs) (laughs) i wouldn't even know what possibly could have caused that Mm -mm. (laughs) yeah a shattering wait the world shattered (laughs) (laughs) what <laughs> she takes you back into the cathedral, um, down the stairs, through the fun house that is not a fun house anymore for any of you, and back down to the room with the seven deacons that are the second seven Ormex that are lined up along the wall. Ah, <sighs> this is amazing. Look at them. Ebby rushes over to them and kind of starts looking them over and inspecting them. You see that um, they are all in different states of repair. It looks like they've all been buffed and cleaned very, very well. Um, you know, there's there's slight differences in each of the deacons. And, um, you know, like one looks like a T-800 from Terminator. The other one looks like a Robocop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one of them's R2-D2. <laughs> <laughs> no, so you've got, you've got slight differences. And you, um, Ebby, especially having dealt with the other the other Ormex in the Kilava and you know rescuing other Ormex, you you recognize slight variations in their forms, um, but they are all pretty uniform. Um, and you see that there's this one that is plugged into this small baseball-sized crystal. Um, that the eyes are glowing, you know, a very dim red as it's trying to siphon as much power from this crystal as possible. Um, the other deacon, the liberation uh, groups, there's two other um, liberators. There's two others that do what Ebby um, does. They are um, looking to you, Ebby, for guidance. And uh, one of them, um, Jessamine, speaks up and says, I've never done this before. I'm ready, but uh, I'm, I'm nervous. I wish I could tell you that it's going to be all right. This is inherently risky. 
but you all knew that when we initiated this or when you signed up for this task. I am grateful for your willingness and for potentially your sacrifice. Let's go ahead and get started. I'll begin with this one here with the crystal. Um, perhaps a bit of that energy. Well, maybe, maybe Jessamine, you should try your hand with this one. If he has been able to take in some of the energy from this crystal, then it might be a little bit easier for you to awaken him. It might not require or exact quite the toll. While this is going, while Ebby's kind of um, saying all of that, Pine will go over to um, Nari and whisper, Keep an eye on that Sydney. I'm going to be paying attention to these Ormics, trying to encourage them along. Nari's going to nod, and then she's going to kind of step toward, like, not blocking the doorway, but, like, right next to the doorway. Right. And kind of lean back. Okay. I have to pull up my rules for freeing Ormex, because Jessamine made her first roll. One thing that you guys would know, especially that you would know, Abby, having done this multiple, multiple times, the there has to be some little bit of power for you to actually flip the switch. So basically, you guys have to be working on one at a time, so plugging it in with this little crystal to give it a little bit of power before you can flip the switch. Um, but let's see how she did. Do I still have the crystal detonator? Could we use that as well? You do have that crystal detonator, and it does have a crystal attached in it. Ebby's rules for freeing Ormex. Jessamine, you gave him, you gave her a plus four, correct? Oh, yeah, I give, I give a plus four on any saves, yes. Okay, so that means that she got a she got a plus so it's eleven plus four is fifteen plus four is nineteen. So she rolled a nineteen with advantage, which means the Ormec wakes up and Jessamine takes two levels of exhaustion. Whoa. Okay. There is the first one awake. Ebby, Ebby um, kind of catches Jessamine because I assume that like buckles her legs and she starts to like falter and eases her down to the ground and then turns to the newly awakened Ormek and in is speaking to him and, and saying, welcome and salutations, brother and or sister, but welcome. Your family is here for you. You see the eyes go from that dim red. They go out and then they turn on a it's always been like a dark green but compared to the dim dim red it's bright um and uh the ormac kind of shakes its head and looks at you and says thank you for waking me up of course i'm aldana aldana she kind of stands up shakily and looks at um jessamine and says is is she the one who who awakened me? Yes. She gave some of her energy, some of her very life force, to ensure that you could once again regain your consciousness and control of this form. She is your liberator. She bends over Jessamine, who is awake, just tired, and she says, Thank you so much. And then she actually kneels down and kind of holds Jessamine. So Jessamine is not going to be making any more checks because uh, four levels of exhaustion is uh, very difficult. And now she'll be rolling with disadvantage anyway. The next uh, liberator is going to make the check. 
Ooh, that is going to be nine plus four plus five, which is going to be 18, which has the same result. The next Ormek wakes up and this other liberator um, gets uh, severely exhausted, but you now have two more Ormeks that are awake. And the other liberator, uh, so you remember in the liberator groups, there are three per group. There is like the protector, who's kind of the fighter. There is the leader, and then there's the liberator, the one who's actually trained to awaken deacons by reading Neum's journal, reading the the Crystal Codex. Mm -hmm. And so now both of the other liberators from the liberator groups are kind of out of commission. So you got two awake out of seven. Ebby, what do you got? (laughs) Yeah, Ebby's going to go ahead and step forward and try and do the next one. Okay. Ebby, are you sure that's wise if we have a bunch of maybe not coherent people and you're passed out I feel like it might be better for you to save your strength and help guide these two I don't think the other five are going anywhere no one is better suited to perform this task than myself and then you hear uh, you hear uh, speak up from the um, Aldana from the floor next to uh, Jessamine say we've slept so long it's please wake them up Ebby's gonna go ahead and turn to one of the other ones and go ahead and have an, an attempt. And then it's plus four, right? Because of pine. So tw- 26. Okay. One of them wakes up with no ill effects. There are four more to do. I was just looking to see if there was anything that I could do to like restore uh, exhaustion levels. But apparently the only spell I can find that even does that is greater restoration. And it only restores it by one level. Yeah, exhaustion is no joke, man. That stuff's yeah. crazy. Well, that's why the liberator groups are going out in, in threes because, I mean, the protector to protect the you know liberators, obviously, but even the leaders have some skills as well to, you know, to protect the liberators in case of this this event, you know, of exhaustion or whatever. Ebby's uh, going to go ahead and have a go at the next one. Thirty. <laughs> Show them how it's done, Ebby. <laughs> All right, there are three left. All right, and we'll go for the next one. A 26. Ebby the Awakener. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, this is great. Oh, you young pups. Let me show you how this is done. Daddy's got your back. <laughs> Just don't roll two nat ones. Maybe you should have them take some levels in cleric or in uh, <laughs> druid so they get the wisdom saving throw. There you go. This one, though, 23. 23, you you do gain one level of exhaustion. Okay, which I think, does that remove? No, it wouldn't, because the first level of exhaustion is skill checks, not saving throws. Okay. Okay. There's one more. And we're going to go for the, the last one, too. And that's a 33. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Damn. Oh, man. All right. Ebby with one level of exhaustion. These other liberators, uh, Jessamine and the other liberator, are watching kind of in awe of you, Ebby. Um, and as you are doing this, as you, as you, uh, you know, touch that last Ormek and you, you know, in your mind's eye, you flip that switch, that breaker switch, and you see the energy coursing towards the heart of that Ormek. And you see the eyes change from red to green. You hear Neam's voice in your head. You must awaken the sleepers. And you're not sure, Ebby, if that is 
your memory of a conversation with Neam from the past or if Neam was saying it again. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. Whether it's happening currently or is just an echo. You're, there, basically, there's three possibilities. He just said that to you like he's talked to you in the past or he is reliving a conversation he's had with you in the past or you are remembering a conversation and you can't tell which it is. It's done. I think we might want to go back to the Allele Eagle and maybe rest for a while. And there's much that we need to explain to these here. Bring them up to speed on what's happened here on Pavantas. I think it might be wise if we waited until nightfall for them to approach the docks, so at least they could do it under cover of darkness. A troop of 14 Ormex heading toward an airship docked in the harbor might be a bit conspicuous. Or we could also go retrieve the ship, land it, or at least uh, bring it further south from the city, have them meet us there out of view of anybody from the city itself. And Epi kind of slumps to the floor himself, feeling tired. And he's like, I I defer to whatever you think might be best uh, on that one, Pine. As you guys are talking, the the leaders, the two leaders of the group, um, they are kind of taking turns talking with these uh, newly liberated, newly freed Ormex, talking with them, uh, kind of starting the prepared rundown of what it's like to awaken and what's going on in the world and kind of their job they pull out their bulleted lists, their laminated little bulleted lists from their pockets. Yeah, they, they, they pull out their flip charts. You know, they're like, have you heard about our Lord and Savior? <laughs> <laughs> Assigning jobs, telling them they have to pay rent. They don't have any health insurance. <laughs> Garbage collection is on Tuesdays. <laughs> no, um, actually, I, I'm really interested to like, you know, uh, hear a little bit about the jobs, like the things that they did in their previous existence and things like that. As you, as they're talking, you know, one of the things that the, uh, that the, that the leaders are trying to get these Ormex, these newly, um, newly awakened Ormex to do is, is to start talking, to start getting their memories jogged. As you remember with, with Hermine, her memory took a little bit of time to come back. Some of them don't remember what they did. A couple of them say that they were researchers. A couple of them say that they were, um, mechanics engineers basically one of them says that they were um high up in the government that they were um a leader and uh that they were um that that's what they can remember from their past now do i trust that guy or is he just trying to get some instant cred (laughs) um you know what he's kind of like a baby learning to walk i I rolled a five insight so (laughs) that sounds good to you Oh, well, this guy used to be a senator. <laughs> um, the whole time this is happening, um, Nara, you've been kind of blocking the door, keeping uh, just kind of keeping an eye on um, on Sydney. You can see with each awakened Ormek, um, her eyes get bigger and bigger, and she is speechless. And by the time the last one is awakened, her jaw is open, and tears are streaming down um, her face. And after all this, when Ebby kind of sits back and says he defers to the group as to what to do, Sydney goes and sits down on her. She kind of kneels down next to you, Ebby, and she she reaches out with a hand to kind of touch your your foot, uh, if you'll let her. And she tries to look you in the eye. What does Ebby do? Ebby doesn't. He doesn't recoil, but he also doesn't look at her. Okay. When she touches him, I think he would say, you know, 
as though he were like panting almost out of breath, you know, like just kind of feeling sapped of energy. But he would say, you've done you've done well with this. It is not enough to fully atone for the things that you may have committed. But if this is the person that you have become, then it is a good thing. Uh, You see that she was uh, going to say something. And when you opened your mouth and started talking, she is overcome and she can't think of what to say. And she puts her forehead down against your knee and just cries, just sobs. All right. At this point, we're going to fast forward a little bit. You guys had already talked about kind of how to get these Ormex out of here. Um, We'll say you guys did go back to the ship. Pine, explain to us what you do. So Pine would say, you know, um, Bruce, Nari, stay here with them. Daffodil, you're with me. And um, uh, Jessamine, if you can spare your two attendants. Because I don't remember what their names were. Yeah, I've got them listed somewhere. We'll, we'll head back to the ship. We'll bring it. Um, you're going to look for us about a half a mile south of here. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll come as, as soon as the sun is set and it's dark. And then so Pine and, and uh, Daffodil and the two other Ormex would head back to the ship and get it ready to fly and come back and collect uh, the rest of them. I think Ebby would also kind of send Amarok with them to kind of help as a medium of communication. It's Malcolm and Clement, actually. Okay. Malcolm and Clement, I'm really glad you're here. I think we, you know, we've established this rapport on, through all our travels and stuff. Now, Malcolm, you are terrible at uh, Texas Hold'em, I have to say. You have this tell. Remember that one time? I thought you were just going to leave it at, you are terrible. You're <laughs> just the worst. You've got to stop I'm with the racist jokes, okay? It's, <laughs> it's, it's 2022. Those are not appropriate anymore. Clement kind of jabs you. Clement kind of jabs you in the ribs. <laughs> You're awake, but you are not woke. <laughs> oh, gosh. Very good. So you all head off to your respective areas and do your respective things and um, all end up back aboard the Allele Eagle now with 14 Ormex instead of seven and also a foxy, foxy lady. Uh, she has gathered herself. She has composed herself a bit. Um, and um, at this point, uh, Jessamine and um, the other liberator, uh, Griffith, actually, uh, are both um, resting. They are they are in there, you know, staring at the wall um, positions. Or they don't stare at each other. <laughs> they're, they're they're giving each other privacy. They're not looking at Ruth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Apparently, it's faster and it works better if you look at this guy. It's the mustache, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Their heads just kind of swivel 180 degrees and just start watching. We just start watching Roos. <laughs> it's very disturbing. <laughs> so this is our airship, um, Sydney. As you can tell, it is uh, vintage. Yeah, she's like running her hands down the walls and stuff. And she's she's like uh, just uh, very much appraising this whole thing. And Nari's still kind of trailing behind, like not just watching her super hard, but like paying attention to what she's doing and, and making sure that she's not up to any any tricks. Um, at this point, you guys are back at the at the pier. Um, yeah, you guys are here. It's nighttime. Um, it's kind of the middle of the night at this point, probably around 10 or 11 o'clock at night. 
Um, lights are starting to go off in town and you guys can have your conversations and make your plans. That was um, very fruitful, Ebby. How are you feeling? Uh, fulfilled, exhausted, but I'm very glad that we were able to. I mean, this is the most we've been able to liberate or I've ever been able to liberate in a single time. You know, usually it was limited to a single Ormec or maybe two at the most, but the risks were incredibly high. But this seems, this seems to be a great start. Hopefully we can keep up this momentum. Yes. Well, apparently there's, you know, there's between four and ten more here in, here in town we may be able to get access to. Now that it's nighttime, now that it's, you know, after midnight, is tonight a night you think you could make it or... Do you need to rest further? No, I think I think I'm in good enough shape now that we could go for it. We'll say that you guys have had time for a short rest, so if Nari and um, Roos would like to burn some hit dice, they can. I will definitely do that. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> Roos would also, if he's taking a short rest, like to take a chance to look at the the bronze dagger for a minute. Sure thing. I remember you you were the one who even suggested this. We might try the horse races first. So rest for tonight, okay? Rest for tonight. We'll we'll do some gambling tomorrow. Okay. Uh yes, that'd be that'd be fine. If everyone else is okay with it. Sydney's there and she's listening to you guys' conversation. She's like, So you're planning on on betting? I mean Renato is a he's a gambler, but it's going to take some fancy talk to get him to potentially part with any of his Ormex. That's a good point, and none of us are particularly good at fast talk anyway. Where does he keep his Ormex, do you know? The ones that I have managed to take have been working around his manor. I know that they're kept in the manor. I don't think that they're on the first floor or even the second floor. There's an attic and there's a basement. I think... Perhaps if we were to entice him with the prospect of acquiring one or maybe even a handful of more Ormex as stakes on these bets, then maybe that would be enticing enough? Honestly, if the worst case scenario, if he wins the bet and he takes you thinking that you're just an ordinary Ormex back to where he stores his other Ormex, you could possibly awaken them. I mean, not ideal scenario, but... I mean, we could sneak a bomb in with you and you could just blow the side of the house off and everybody escapes. <laughs> well, he still has to wake them up. <laughs> right, right, I mean, wake them up and then blow up the side of the house. And that's actually really... That's, that's very, a good point, Nari. That's a wonderful idea. Quick, Pine, hide a bomb inside my thorax. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you guys have bombs. <laughs> Or thoraxes. <laughs> <laughs> it's right by the spider butt rope. I thought you were a bird. <laughs> Don't ask questions. Again, if we picture you as, as Bender, then you, you have a great place to just stick a bomb. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> so it is nighttime. If we wanted to investigate and potentially sneak in, right now is the time. If, if we're wanting to do things during the day... Um, then we can wait till tomorrow. But and I hate to I hate to suggest this, but we could split the party, and Pine could take an Ormek or two, including Evie, down to the to the racetrack, and we could sneak around the the house. 
That is a that is a good idea. At this point, the horse track, the horse races would be over. Well, right. I mean, tomorrow, tomorrow. Okay. But yeah, so, so Nari and Roos and maybe Amarok could scout out the uh, scout out the manor, see if there's any weaknesses, especially while everyone's away. And then um, I could play the part of a rich foreigner from what's what's a good country? Men rest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think you would play that part well. Looking, looking to wager some metal men. And here's, here's something too. When you, this has happened a couple of times. We we know that they ref, that you all refer to yourselves as as Ormex. Next time we accidentally say that instead of Deacon, we can just say, "Oh, that's what they call them in Barrister or something like that." <laughs> I like it. That sounds like a great idea. I think the idea of scouting out the area first is is probably very wise. And then, you know, whether we need to split the party or not, I suppose I, I, I'm no strategist. I would defer to, to your, your thoughts there. I have a crazy idea. Shut it down if you don't like it. But but it hinders. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> so we, we take handfuls of ceviche. That's right. <laughs> How how much do you guys remember after you wake up from your time before you're awake? So would, for example, if we woke up one of the Ormex working on the farm, would that Ormex know where the rest of the Ormex are? That is a very good question and one that nobody has asked yet. And the answer is it kind of depends. Um, some of the... So it's never clear, complete perfect memory. Some of the Ormex that have been freed don't remember anything. Some of them have like almost like remembering a dream, right? Um, And some of them have like very clear moments of clarity, but it's never like they remember everything, if that makes any sense. Uh, For example, one of the Ormex that um, was freed, Ebby, having had a conversation with him in the past, would have known that he remembers very specifically like attacking somebody like being commanded to attack somebody and actually doing it. And, and he was basically had no control over his body and it still haunted this Ormek, even though he knew there was nothing he could do about it. So it just kind of depends. So here's my idea. What if we go and we find two or three, of the Ormeks working, we liberate them and ask them where they're keeping the rest of them. Ebby goes in as himself, un, unmasked, undisguised. I can, I think, maybe convince Squire to make me look just like Ebby. And if, Sydney, if you can turn yourself into making yourself look like an Ormac, the three of us could just walk into the house without anyone giving us a second glance. Let me make a check. Damn. That is wild, Roos. <laughs> I rolled a natural one. Sydney just goes, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. No, meaning she has no better idea. She has no better idea. Okay, so just some further clarification. Sydney, you said that you have been kind of picking off these Ormex uh, one at a time as they're out working outside. Does he still send these you know, in his eyes, very valuable resources to work outside without any kind of protection, seeing as some of them have been stolen. 
or is he more careful about them now? So Renato has actually, um, from what I've heard, what I've managed to gather, he's actually beefed up his his security. Um, he's hired a butler recently who has a pretty nasty reputation, um, as well as some of the staff that he's hired on. Um, you have to understand, Renato is incredibly wealthy. He has made so much money, not only on his gambling at the horse races, but actually he breeds these racehorses, uh, a lot of them, the best ones. They're his. That sounds like a conflict of interest. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree, but who's going to stop him? The Gaming Commission. <laughs> I'm getting hungry. Are we, are we going to go and eat the rich? jeez. <laughs> oh, He's, he's incredibly wealthy. He has beefed up his security. And no, over the last couple of months, I have only seen his um, Ormex in the company of him or, or one of his family members. Never just out on their own anymore. And you say family members. So I'm, I'm assuming spouse, children, maybe extended family. How many people live in this compound? Do you know? Uh, well, let me make a check for her. See how much she knows. Okay, that's a good word. That's good. Um, she says, what I've managed to gather is um, he has a son from his first marriage who is uh, in his early 20s, and he's got a daughter from his second marriage who is three. She's very young. And this wife, is she wife number two or number three? Just want to make sure. I think this is wife number two. This is the mother of the three-year-old. Okay, she might be attached to that kid. And is she like dummy thick or is she like kind of a meh? What are, what are we dealing with? What here? kind of milf are we dealing with? And, then, and I'll actually motion, I'll like, I'll like do the thumb, like point the thumb over to Nari and say, and would he be in the market for a mistress maybe? <laughs> what are we dealing milf over here? I mean with over here. Would he, is he the kind of guy who was like have a piece on the side, but he's rich and powerful. So like, he has his and his wife have an understanding. I'm just trying to think of a, of a way to get somebody else in there, potentially Nari. Maybe he's never had, you know. Whoa, hey, oh, <laughs> hey, hey there. Paul just showed the token for wife number two of of Renato, and uh, she's a Betty. I mean, you know, do we need to liberate her as well? Is that a uh... <laughs> <laughs> so wife number two? Um, how to say this nicely? Renato was married for a long time, and when he became wealthy, he actually um, he left his first wife, and he um, got a second wife. He oh damn, that's cold. How do I say that nicely without saying he whatever he got a trophy he wife? He dumped basically. her like yesterday's garbage. He did. Um, and this is kind of uh, Sydney telling you this. Um, you know, uh, the wealth went to his head and um, he built that huge manor. He um, hired staff. He uh, built bigger stables for his horses. And um, he is at the races every evening and his horses usually win. And when he races, does he ever bring one of his Ormex with him? Yes. Usually there's an Ormex there with him as, a, as an attendant. But usually, lately, only one. He used to show off his wealth a lot more, and I think I might have something to do with the reason why he has uh, limited it to one at a time. Okay, well, and um, I am liking this idea, though. I mean, I don't, I don't know, Bruce. I don't know that your idea will work given 
the secure nature of the compound. Yeah, I, I think that would make it much more complicated. But at the least, I could disguise myself and enter with Evie. You could sell me along with him. How long does that uh, effect last for you, Roos? Because it's about an hour, but I could do it a couple of times. Okay. Would it maybe be better to send one of the liberators with him in case something happens and we need an extra set of hands? I honestly, I worry about putting a liberator in that position. If anything were to happen to them, then one of these parties would be, you know, shut down. Maybe one of the other, like the defenders or or whatever the role is called, they might be able to defend themselves better and then make an avenue for us to get these Ormex out or to get the Liberators in. But um, I don't know, I'd be a little concerned about sending them in first. At that point, I feel like I'd I'd much rather have Roos there. I think that's that's a good idea. So I'll be wealthy. Nari, do you want to be my arm candy? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Slash bodyguard. Yeah, and then Ebby and Ebby and Roos will be my my uh deacon attendants and I'll you know Ha I have so much money, I'll wager these guys. What do you say? Two of yours or two of mine? Well, I'll I'll come up with a better line. <laughs> you you could intentionally lose us, and then we would be able to get into the house. Apparently, if I bet against the prince, I'll lose. Do you know by any chance the prince, does he ride one of um, Renato's horses? You're, you're talking about Prince Leopold, the uh, the the daughter, uh, sorry. The best racer in all the land. Yes, Prince Leopold, he does. He actually does race. Um, his horse is actually um, named... <laughs> Seabiscuit. I know, actually, I... I have a list. I have uh, I have actually 15 horse names um, that are all fantastic. <laughs> yes, Prince Leopold, his horse is, is Diablo. Ah. And Diablo is one of Pello's horses. Diablo is one of Pello's horses that he bred, but is owned by the royal family. All right, well, I think, I think we have the makings of a plan. Maybe we should retire for the evening and prepare. I think that sounds like a good idea. And we've already got all of the the um, freed Ormex from tonight. They're already on the ship, right? Yeah, they're they're all on the ship. They're all kind of in the hold um, with the Liberator groups, and they're talking. Uh, you have uh, Jessamine and the other one, um, whose name I said earlier, um, that are resting because they're gonna. It's gonna take them like two days to get back to normal um, after after that uh, ordeal. Um, but yeah, they're talking and discussing and filling them in and and trying to figure out help them jog through their memories and that kind of thing okay so you guys are all going to go to sleep until the next day so as you guys kind of wind down this uh conversation um you guys retire to your rooms and roos you said you wanted to check out that that bronze dagger yeah i hadn't had a chance to look at it since the vision the other day so roos this bronze dagger um you know, your your vision that you had um, of the scales a couple episodes ago, this bronze dagger, this dagger that you chose to try to even your scale a little bit, um, as you're holding it in your hand, the interesting thing that keeps coming back to your mind is that you could have sworn it was still locked in that lead-lined box. 
But when you woke up from that vision, it was already on your belt waiting for you to put on your pants. Because canonically, canonically, Ruth sleeps in the nude. This is true. With just a sweater vest on sometimes if he's feeling cold. <laughs> oh, I do keep the sweater vest. And the sweater vest is getting shorter every episode. Like it's, like it's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely sleeps in the nude. Let me tell you what. You look at this dagger and um, yes, you have, um, after about an hour of kind of like handling, you, you recognize this is definitely a magical dagger it definitely has some um some power to it the dagger it looks like i'm envisioning kid from chrono cross kind of like that that brass dagger that she's holding in the beginning of the game and so it's like kind of curved pretty sharply but it's it's a fairly small knife very good and then you all go to sleep and get some rest we're gonna kind of jump ahead again Morning comes, the sun rises in the sky, it filters in through some of the portholes on the Allele Eagle, and you all awaken in the city of Kelta. There are 14 Ormex aboard, there is um, a foxy lady named Sydney who um, has spent a lot of the uh, her free time kind of walking around the Allele Eagle, a little book in hand, kind of making notes, looking at like the crystal um, the crystal motor, the crystal engine that powers the things kind of like not like poking anything, but just looking and making notes, that kind of thing. Did you guys want to wait all the way until evening when the horse races usually take place? Or is there anything you guys wanted to do before uh, before that point? Pine would like to take crumbles out. So first off, Pine will change into his his green outfit, kind of his disguise outfit from when they were in Arkelvy. Um, and he'll take crumbles out. And what he's going to do is he's going to go clothes shopping for some fancy duds. Oh, very nice. Okay. Uh, how much are you looking to spend on your fancy duds? Uh, enough to make it look like I can afford to wager two Ormex. <laughs> okay. So that's going to take you um, a good chunk of your day because you're going to get measured. You're going to, you know, they're going to check the inseam and then they're going to keep checking the inseam over and over again for some reason. And Pine's going to be like, I'm cool with this. <laughs> <laughs> I think I may have used that joke before. Anyway, it reminds me of friends when Joey's talking about the tailor who used to always check him. Yeah. You know, they, they check the, the cuff, the, the waist, the inseam, and they give you the jiggle. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody remember that? I don't remember that, but I will I tell you. I wasn't even a Friends fan, but oh man. Anyway. I got fitted for a suit and it was a very pleasant experience. Not the inseam thing, but just like the whole like putting it on, like brushing off your shoulders, making sure everything fits. It just was like, it was like an ASMR experience, like to hear like the hands on, like all the fabric and it was great. <laughs> I'm very cool. Well, yeah, so that's what you're going to be spending your day doing. And to get clothes that are going to look like that, it's basically the price for a courtier's clothes, um, kind of a royal outfit. It's not necessarily looks, it doesn't look like you are like actually royalty, but that level of wealth is going to be required in order to, um, in order to look like you own an Ormec in this day and age. Okay. And, and I mean... I'm trying to decide how poofy the collar is. It could be like it could be like just a ridiculous Austin Powers cravat, or I could go straight up William Shakespeare ruffle all around the neck. I don't I don't know. What do you guys think? 
That's what I was thinking. I was thinking Shakespeare, but with like gold embossing on it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Nice. And it is, and it is burgundy. It is burgundy. So are you going to have one of those big, huge hats too? Like with the huge wide brim? Yes. And, and, and a, like an extremely long, like, um, it's going to have a straight up a peacock feather in it. <laughs> nice. Or, or one of those, um, the penguin feathers. What are those called? Oh, like a quill? No, our penguins that we ride. Oh, oh a the beekaboo feather. A beekaboo feather. Okay, yes, a beekaboo feather. Feathers hears you and gets really tense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shut up. You've been molting. There's plenty around here. <laughs> nice. It's going to cost you 15 gold pieces for that fine of clothes. Great. I'll do that. What does anybody else want to do during the day? It's not a whole lot else. Okay. Yeah, no. I think Abby would just kind of be loitering around, hanging around with Pine. I think that um, I would want to maybe just talk with Ebby before we kind of hang out. Are we sending the the Ormex and the the ship? Are we sending them away for now? Because I'm not sure how safe they are just hanging out in the harbor. No, but it might not be bad to have them not too far away. I might leave Amarok with the ship itself, and then we can use our link. And as long as the ship is within a mile of us... We could at least then instruct them to, you know, come and pick us up or whatever we might need or rendezvous with us wherever we might need to meet them. And if we're keeping Sydney with the ship, she could always disguise herself and be the, the human presence in case any dockhands needed to talk with them or whatever. And, and if they needed to make a quick getaway, maybe she could at least play the role of, of captain or something. I don't know. I still think they should. I still think they should be outside of the city, though. I agree, actually. Yes. I think maybe since the farm is to the north of the of the city, if we could have them position themselves somewhere secluded but within a mile even further north, that might be good. Can they can they tie off close to the tops of the trees in the forest to the north? It had to be a long rope just because I mean that's fine. That's t- totally doable. I don't want to be a butt about it. I mean, if I mean, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure together all four of us have like 200 feet of rope. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a butt about it, but no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, not a problem. So the the, the forest kind of surrounds um, kind of the um, the city on the kind of the north, the west, and the south side. And so uh, to be a mile away from like the circuit where the racing happens um, is not a problem. But they will they will be visible. They won't be hidden because they will be in the air. Or I mean, they could even be on the water, really. On the river? No, no, out out to sea and out to sea within a mile of the coast. That's that's doable as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, that might be less conspicuous than just hovering over the forest. So you guys all get off the ship, and the ship then kind of. Um, quote unquote, sails a little bit kind of north and up towards the kind of the the north bank of this uh, of the uh, of the harbor, kind of close to the farms um, and probably within a mile or maybe just a little bit outside of a mile from the circuit from where the horse racing happens. But that's kind of the best you can do, um, given the circumstances as Pine in his dapper duds and Pine will ride in on Crumbles. Okay. And Nari's, and Nari's more of a bodyguard figure, kind of like going beside him. 
And is Ebby the the uh, the bet that Pine is going to make? Yeah, the hapless cargo kind of trudging behind. <laughs> and where's Roos in all this? <laughs> Roos will will stick around Ebby and kind of act as like. Oh, because you're disguised. You're you're disguised. I I will wait until later to actually activate that. Very good. All right. As you approach the north edge of town, um, kind of in the later afternoon, uh, you go kind of you you move through the city. And as you leave the gate uh, to the north part of town, you can see on the kind of a little bit further up the road and on the right, you can see the uh, the wooden palisade, which is the inn where Amarok got shot um, and the poet was doing the terrible poetry and then kind of to the left on the other side of the road you can see there is um, a line of houses and you can see up kind of on the other side of the houses kind of rising above some of the roofs you can see this kind of grandstand and you also see a large bell tower Um, and that is the circuit where the horse racing takes place and you know that when the races are about to begin they will start to ring that bell. And as you guys are approaching the circuit, suddenly you hear the loud tolling of that bell. Did you hear the size of that bong? (laughs) We're going to get so high. (laughs) (laughs) Announcing that the horse races will begin shortly. So if you would like to come and watch them and maybe place your bets, now would be the time to do that. But that's going to have to wait until next time. All right, guys. Thanks for playing. Um, this was kind of a, I don't know, a touching episode. Getting to see Ebby confront someone from his past who had, I mean, definitely, definitely done him some wrong. Um, anyway, if you guys uh, are enjoying this, go check out our Patreon. Go, You can see the maps that we've been using. You can... Go check out our bonus episodes. Our Q&A that we recently did is up, as well as some um, hilarious outtakes that um, are, uh, they're not PG sometimes. <laughs> they're hilariously hilarious. They are hilariously hilarious. They are greatly great. <laughs> <laughs> Go spread the word. Go tell your family and friends about us. Don't forget our Discord. You can come and talk to us there. Um, we're on there a lot. And until we get together next time, we hope you have a great time.